Hello, my name is Richard Long. I'm the Executive Director of the Learning First Alliance. The LFA is a partnership of leading educational organizations representing more than 10 million members dedicated to improving student learning in America's public schools. We share examples of success, encourage collaboration, and work towards continual and long-term improvement of public education based on solid research. Today, we have a representative from one of our members, Beth Huff, who is the principal of the Fulton Middle School in Fulton, Missouri. She's been at that position for seven years. She's been a principal for 14 years, and before that, a teacher for eight, teaching fourth and fifth grades. She is the NASSP Principal of the Year. She is from the University of Missouri. She has two children with one going off to college next year and another 11-year-old. She enjoys reading and being outside. Beth, thank you for being here. To get us started, what do you find exciting about schools and education? Well, I find there are many things that are exciting about school and education, especially right now where we are. Although times are definitely tough and we're, we're facing many new challenges, I also look at this as a time to reimagine and to really reinvent some of the, the things that we're doing within our public schools at this time. I think that the thing that I love the most and it, it's most exciting every single day are the kids that come in our buildings. I mean, our students, no matter the challenges, our students are excited to come in. And I think living through the past few years where we've had to do various different types of schooling just the excitement of coming in, even in middle school, sometimes middle schoolers get a bad rap, but middle schoolers love to be in school. And, and it's exciting to figure out different ways to engage and motivate and inspire not only our students, but for me, I also feel like that I need to do that as well for our staff and the adults that come in the building because um, well-supported and motivated and inspired staff are able to better take care of our students. So those are a few of the things that I feel like definitely are exciting right now. And, and for me, I'm really looking at how can we really reimagine some of the things that may be outdated or that are ready to take on a fresh breath of air as we move forward into the next decade. That's really interesting. Tell us more about this idea of reimagine. What does that mean and how do you get others to see what you're imagining? I think something specifically that I've seen, we for the most part in our town, in our state really of Missouri, most of our schools stayed in seat last year. So the majority of our learning was in seat. But as I work at the national level, a lot of schools were hybrid or they were in various forms of virtual learning. And we did have students that took part in virtual learning. We did have a few times where we had to close due to quarantines or to lack of staffing. We stretch our day out into nine periods. And some of our kids don't need that. What they recognize, my oldest son in, in high school, he was done with his schoolwork by 1130. And then he would go work shifts and make money. And so I think really looking at why do we do what we do and how might that look differently? And for me, it means talking to our kids, finding out from our students, what do you think? What do you think school could be as we are back more in seat regularly throughout our country? Like what was successful for you when we did an alternative model and what wasn't? And then how might we re reimagine that moving forward? And and while for my both of my own boys and, and the majority of our students in our school, the in seat was preferable, there are some students that different forms are are definitely something we need to look at. How might that happen? As we talk equity and access a little bit too, in, in rural Missouri, we don't have some specialty teachers available, but we do have them online. So just how might we really look in different ways of being able to meet the needs of our students that we have today in front of us? And I think that oftentimes I've used past solutions to solve today's problems. And I'm, I'm really learning that's not the way 
that I can do this anymore because those solutions and just one example, I know that everyone's feeling this right now is sub, the sub shortage is real, right? And so we're really going to have to, we have to come up with different ideas on how to do that. Just in general, I know it's not just education and we are short in all areas, but one of the things specifically that we've done that's a little bit differently, which has been beneficial to both our kids and our staff is that we have higher high school students that are filling in roles as custodians as food service, et cetera. And, and it's really been mutually beneficial because we are shorthanded, but yet then we're able to get some real life experience for some of our students that are current students. So just a few examples, you know, I think this past week I was able to sit down and, and do some work with our state teachers of the year. We actually looked at some survey data from current educators in Missouri and how they're feeling about just anything from morale to just what are the biggest stressors. And we were in a room of, of educators and mental health experts and the brainstorming that happened just in that room was there's people are so solution oriented right now. I think there's really some great things that we could do to, like I said, reinvent, reimagine, just redesign on a bigger scale, but it's going to take all of us working together to make that happen for sure. And and how do you think we should start this process? You, you have an attitude and a philosophy about being student oriented and asking students and looking at data and analyzing the data, defining problems, but how do we get uh, others, not to try to get you in trouble with central office or the school board. <laughs> There's a lot of uncertainty out there and a lot of people have competing good ideas. How does that stress manage? I think, first of all, it's good to make sure we're we're really listening and hearing the voices that are there. And I know that sometimes when you say, hey, survey, people kind of groan and moan. They're not necessarily wanting to do that. But I think it's really important that we don't just listen to the loud voices. There are a lot of very quiet voices that have some wonderful feedback and ideas. And so I think, first of all, we really need to hear like, what, what are the challenges that are out there? What are, what's going on? We can't just say that what the things that I'm facing in the middle of Missouri are the same things that everyone's facing everywhere. What I'm noticing though, there are certain trends as for principles that are definitely similar no matter where you are. Same thing for students, same thing for parents, same thing for community members, same things for chamber of commerces, because really, again, we have to look bigger picture than our schools, because for us as public schools and any schools to be successful, we need to make sure that when our students leave us, they're definitely ready to help make the world a better place and in whatever whatever role and that they are, especially having a senior in high school. I've really, that's hit me even harder this year because not only do I want him to be happy, you know, I want him to be able to contribute in a positive way to our, to our country, to our greater world. So I think for me, just to start with is just like hearing, listening to voices and finding out what is the current reality and then really looking at what what skills are needed to be successful. And I know in Missouri, we, we have we have a kind of a think tank of folks that are doing that at, at the state level and the director of Chamber of Commerce, which I know that might not be the exact right title, but, but listening to what's our workforce looking like right now and what's the projected workforce looking like and how might we look differently with that? And some of the things that this group as well, some things that are kind of outside of the box right now to some our schools in Missouri is just looking at the school week, like are we going to continue to do five full days? Is that something should we be looking at? Should we be looking at four days? Should we be looking at or looking at more of a year round school and where we have more breaks is really having three months off in the summer is that I know that was agriculture schedule, but is that really helping us or hindering us? And is there a way to look at that differently? When we look at the physical and mental and emotional exhaustion of our staff, because we know healthy staff, better leaders, better schools, better teachers, better schools. And that's all the decisions I make are definitely kids first and putting kids first. But again, we've got to make sure we're taking care of our staff so they can best in turn take care of our kids. Just really analyzing and looking at what systems are working and being able to hire right now. I've 
gone on college visits with my, my own kiddo. This is my own data, but there's been no one in my son's groups of college visits that have wanted to be an educator. We can't ignore that, in my opinion. And again, this is big thinking. How might we reimagine the teacher certification process? Because for me, it took me five years, but five years of debt um, to make not a lot of money is is something that we're going to have to really think about. Yes, it does reflect poorly on our values. I, I was once flying in to give a talk in Wisconsin to a group of educators and a young lady sitting next to me felt guilty that she, as an engineer, was earning more money five years out of school than her two parents who were teachers uh, all their lives. And it's something, yes, we do have to address as a community. This year, Public Schools Week, we're emphasizing creating safe, equitable, engaging schools. What's the role of the principal in in bringing that forward? I definitely feel like the principal sets the tone for the whole building. And I really feel like that myself, my attitudes, my personality, really it does. It affects everyone that I have a, a chance to interact with. And so I feel like really as the principal, you set the tone, you set the tone and you have the chance to make or break days sometimes. And so I remember that and I really have to remember that. And for me, it it brings an element of passion and enthusiasm. And so I try to bring that all the time. I also know you have to be careful with the fake enthusiasm. You don't want to overdo it. One of the first people the kids see when they come in in the morning, same thing with staff. I try to be right out front and I'm greeting students as they come in and really My purpose for that, of course, is to say good morning, but it's also to triage who's having a great morning, who might need a little more support that day. And then also supporting teachers, the same thing, how might teachers and our staff be having a great morning who might need a little more support. So I think for me, that that piece is that my role, again, is to be the, the chief support officer in that building. And how can I make sure I'm doing what I need to do? I think that it's an amazing job and I love to do it. I definitely, this past year and a half, have felt the physical demands because there's just been so many new things. I know all of our careers have changed because of COVID, but I'm just the shift. The principal really ends up like just from contract tracing to working with the, I feel like it's kind of ER. My parents were nurses. And so like just that triage piece of an ER, I feel like our schools are much more like that because There'll be times I get to the end of the day and my lunch, I don't even know where it is because there's just, we don't stop. And it's been like that so much. Again, and I said this earlier and I'll keep saying it because I'm very passionate right now too. Not that I haven't been in the past, but especially right now. And how can we support teachers? How can I make sure that um, I'm supporting teachers so that the culture within the building is one in which it's of collaboration and, and creativity? It's hard to do those things if you're not supported. And again, I have seen the benefits of when, when teachers feel supported, they're able to do so much more in their classroom. And when they have the supports that they need, they're able to better serve our students, which is our number one goal for all of us, right? I think principals need to be visible. I think we need to be immersed in all of the work. And and that means in the classroom, in the hallways, and making sure that those type of things are being done. Again, passion is something that I I feel very deeply about and why I love my job so much. I think as as principals, we set the tone in, in knowing what we do, right? I didn't become a principal because I was trying to move up some ladder in education. I was a passionate teacher who then wanted to see a little bit more of a ripple effect. And so I went into leadership and I love being a school principal. I struggle to think of anything else that I'll be doing because I just love that role so much. And and there's, you never know what you're going to see, which is the blessing and the curse of the building principal. You never know what your day, your day tends to be built around what, what comes to you. So for me, there's a few different things that I find that are super important about being a principal, but for me, just making sure that I'm visible and supportive and it's kind of a love and accountability piece. I feel like is, is you care deeply for those you serve, but make sure that you have high expectations. Those were the tenets that I used within my classroom as well. You mentioned about how much time and energy you spent in essentially 
on health-related matters. I mean, you're talking about the mental health and well-being of the human beings in your building uh, and assessing that on an instantaneous basis. You talk about contact tracing. If you were sitting with a group of principals, how much would they say their job has changed with the pandemic and where they think the the job is going to go? Well, I think, and, and I haven't looked specifically at the data. I know NASSP put out a survey to principals, and so yes. there's some real data that goes with that. I know just in general, I was spending time yesterday at a state conference for principals where I was presenting specifically about leadership wellness. But it, during that, just having the table conversations, our principals are struggling as well. I know for me, I try not to be a complainer because I know that, again, my personality affects the room. And so if I'm in a school building and I'm complaining that all that does is a ripple effect on those I'm around. And so being productive and solution oriented is huge for me personally. I think that our principals are struggling. I think that there's so many new skills that you're having to do. The multitasking, again, that's something that is hard to teach, but yet at the same time, it's it's a crucial piece because there'll be times, again, I say uh, it'll be five o'clock and I'll have forgotten to call the parent back from eight o'clock because this summer, everything's becoming emergent, it seems like. And when everything's important, nothing's important. So I think that our school principals are just really struggling to do all of the things that we used to do. And then you add in another. And, and again, this is not just for school principals. So I know that the load is, is our superintendents are feeling the same thing. Our families are feeling the same thing because as a parent, I know that the struggles have increased over the past couple of years as well. But I think for school principals specifically, it's just we're, we're still expecting output to be the same, right? We're still expecting the same levels of accountability on our state testing. We're still expecting all of the things to happen that happened two years ago, but yet we're continuing to add more and more and more to the already full plates and of our school staff. And whenever we talked about pay, and we know that pay is, is it ever really enough, right, for, for educators, but at the same time, it's really hard. And, and for me, I've moved, I've moved into administrator role, right? So I've, I've been able to make some increases as I go, but again, to look at the pay and how it hasn't really increased, but yet standards, expectations, and accountability has. It's an interesting topic to really consider too, of we consider to expect more and more and more, but yet how can we keep up? How do we, you know, how do we really do that? Yeah. You put several very interesting questions on the table. The job has changed massively, yet the accountability hasn't. If the measure is what your reading score and your math score as to things going well, and the reality is you're trying to keep kids alive and positive. It's an amazing difference. Uh, I wonder how we're going to negotiate that in the future. I think that's a great question because I think that's where most people are right now. The behaviors have increased drastically, whether you're in seat or have been virtual, um, because those bringing students back after virtual learning, the behaviors are increased. But those of us that were in seat, behaviors have increased. Coping skills, I feel like, are, are much lower than they were before for all of us, not just for the kids. And then I feel like the, our staff, just in general, we're trying to start new programs or we have money for new programs. But the academics, we want to have a sense of normalcy with, with academics. But really, the coping skills, the kind of the fuse, everyone's fuses are just have been trimmed or are non-existent. And so you're trying to continue. And, and mental health matters so much to me. Uh, being in a trauma-informed educator has helped me to be better because I've understood my own traumas and why I am the way I am sometimes. But really looking at whenever students are, we, we always refer to the back of the brain, when our students or our staff are dysregulated or in the back of our brain, trying to do very complex tasks, it, it's we're struggling. And so it seems like we, we need to slow down to speed up and really take care of. And that's the part that's hard is it's hard to 
when you're trying to constantly regulate and take care of those needs, it's hard to, on top of that, disaggregate data and say, oh, okay, let's look at our reading scores. Or it's hard when our teachers sub during their plan times as a primary way to cover classes because we don't have anyone else. And it's never great practice to put classes together anyway. Whenever you have, I mean, it's just, I know there's there's research and data on class sizes, but the, the end of the day, putting 40 middle schoolers in one room is just not ever fun. Like that's just not right, a great right. thing, right? right. It's just you, not a, you, it won't end well. It won't, no, it end. won't. And I don't, I don't really know what data you want on that one, but I can just like yeah. that right there. So, <laughs> but the thing is, and I sub as well. Luckily, looking at Monday's schedule, it looks like we're good, but like typically I've been subbing three to four times a day in classrooms. And I'm, I've, I think that's huge. I think principals should be subbing if they're asking others to do that because I, I don't ever ask anyone to do what I wouldn't do twice because I think that's it's part of our role as a serving leader. However, when I'm subbing, I'm not doing the other part of my principal job. When teachers are subbing, they're not able to have their plan time. So again, that just takes that fuse and the wick of our candles and it trims it just a little bit more. And so I think that's that's the part where it's just, it's hard to continue. You know, someone asked, well, attendance, why aren't you doing this with attendance? And I'm like, trust me, I- I'm trying. Like we're trying. Nobody's saying, hey, let's not do all of these things. It's just, they're more of how in the world am I going to do all of these things? We know that attendance is indicative to stu- not only student achievement, just but just usually in middle school, especially when kids aren't at school, there's something else going on, right? It's, it typically goes back. We we do mental health screeners in our school. And again, we did the screener, but then having a plan on, okay, now do we, now what do we do? You know, right. And, and, and when you're already our counselors, and again, our counselors are, are heroic in their efforts as well, because our school counselors are constantly triaging, trying to be proactive, but yet responding to, to the day-to-day things that are going on with our kids as well. So it is really important for people making decisions about schools to be paying much more attention to principals and to educators generally to talk about what the trends are now. We shouldn't be measuring output based on the age of sail and an age of nuclear power if we were running a ship. And it, it does sound like a lot of what public is thinking about schools is not wrong. It's just not what we're measuring. And what we're measuring is wrong. Uh, I think we have some big challenges right in the immediate future. I, I definitely agree. And I think that I'm a, I'm a person for accountability because I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have a, forms of accountability, but I'm definitely a growth model. Like, how do we start to how do we finish? I know that there's certain states that are looking at, hey, if, if you're utilizing these different things already, great, then you're going to turn those in at the end of the year instead of having to take one more test. That was what was hard last year. I've learned to use my voice more too. So I've questioned that more at our state level or national level. But at the same time, it's just one more week that we have to take off of educating students. And, and if we're not using the data to truly help our kids be better, then I struggle with taking time away from the most important work, right? I try to always see myself as an educator first in my role as principal, but I also understand that as soon as I move out of the classroom, it, it's not the same. So that's one of my reasons. If the principals that are listening, we've got to make sure we're in classrooms helping. We shouldn't just be in classrooms observing and giving that, doing the evaluative piece. We've got to make sure we're there helping. And then those in central office that are making decisions, making sure that they come in and they're in the buildings as well, or before being able to give feedback or tell the story of, of schools, because what can seem in central office or a district office may not be the reality of a school building. And so the farther away you get from the children, the more you really have to plug in to see what's really going on. Beth Hoff, National Principal of the Year for the National Association of Secondary School Principals. This has been a fascinating few minutes. Thank you for taking the time. And is there anything in closing you would like to share? 
No, I just, I appreciate the opportunity to connect with our listeners today. And I think that it can be done. I really think that we can figure out how to take the challenges and to make school even better for our students and for our teachers. But it's just, it's going to take a lot of creative minds. And I think we're going to have to come together and really the divisiveness, use that to get different opinions, but figure out how we can come together in order to best serve our students. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. 